Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, September the 15th. This is episode 2731. It's called Liberty by Lifestyle Design. This is something we've been bouncing around on YouTube for a bit lately in the comments section back and forth with a couple videos that I put out. And it stems from the concept of so many people bitching about a problem or in this case, many problems, but never proposing a solution, and then always crapping on a solution that you provide, but never providing a counter solution. Like, you see, to me, here would be a this is not the quote of the day, but it could be, and it's one that I've kind of made up myself over this past week. The person who points to a problem without having a solution to it makes the tits on a boar hog seem inherently useful. I mean, seriously, like... If all you do is point to a problem, point to a problem, point to a problem, and screech and yell and holler like some hysterical person in some stupid Hollywood film, with you know all like it's it's, it's hilarious to me these people on YouTube with their all caps typing like five paragraphs of all caps, it look like a lunatic, right? But you don't have any solution except we need to fight. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? You're too stupid to understand. I, I actually think the problem is you don't have an answer. And I get stuff like that, and it's crazy to me. And we are constantly coming to problems from a solutions orientation here at TSP. That's what we're all about. We're all about solutions. And I'll tell you why I think a lot of people don't like solutions. I'll tell you why I think they don't. I think you might think I'm crazy at first, but if you consider this, if you give it proper consideration, I think you'll find that it's probably true. When you give people solutions that are workable, what enrages them is it removes excuses from what they do tomorrow and it places at least some culpability on their shoulders for where they are today. And they don't like that. The people that shriek and scream about either side of the dichotomy, the, 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 the right shrieking about the left or the left shrieking about the right, act as if if those people just went away, their whole life would just be wonderful. And, and, and honestly, I think a lot of if a lot of politics went away, my life would be better, right? I, 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 there's as much infringement upon my liberty from the right as there is from the left. It's just in different aspects and in different ways. So, so I, I get that. But in the end, my life's pretty damn fantastic because I designed it that way. But what we have is we have a lot of people who are miserable people. And I don't mean just like they are a miserable person in, in that kind of context, which many of them are. I mean they actually are physically, emotionally, they're miserable. They don't have what they want. And they have no way that they see to get what they want anytime in their future. So they start talking about people taking away things when they don't have anything to have taken away in reality except some ethos in their mind that supposes, you know, like, that, 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 basically worships the word liberty and freedom without an understanding of it. In fact, what I say in my intro today on the show notes is the word liberty has been elevated to what was once referred to in an old Star Trek episode as a worship word. Yet many seem to not even truly understand what the word liberty means. They seem to feel it means voting for their side so that only the things they want to be restricted or taxed are restricted or taxed. Liberty is the freedom to live as you choose until such time as you interfere with the liberty of others. That and only that is true liberty. 
Liberty can't come from government, and government is also not able to defend it. At the very best, a state can provide some level of protection of individual rights so that liberty may be pursued. Still, even if the state is as minarchist as possible, it would remain the responsibility of the individual to secure, keep, and expand their own liberty. Likewise, even if the state greatly impedes liberty, and it usually does, it remains the individual's responsibility to claim it anyway. Today we're going to talk about doing so via lifestyle design. Instead of sitting around complaining about what you don't have, how about figuring out what you do want and what you want to keep and how you want to defend it and then building a resilient lifestyle that claims and takes as much liberty as is possible. And I want to really dig into this today from a standpoint of giving you um, 18 things that you can do. 18 things that you can do in your life that not only give you greater liberty and freedom, but secure the liberty and freedom that you have. And I, I really want to make today a call out for people to understand something. There is a lot of of things that impede liberty, that stand in the way of liberty, that, that step on the throat of liberty in the world today. Yet, in many ways, we have more opportunity for liberty than throughout most of, I would say, civilized history. Now, if we, if we want to go pre-civilization, that's a totally different thing. But if we look at since the dawn of civilization, since government was instilled, there is actually greater ability for liberty today, both because of the structure and nature of government compared to the way that it was in many places in the past, but also due to technology and knowledge exchange and the ability to move. But all of those things are huge for liberty today. And people that claim to be fighting for liberty in some mythical ethos that can't even be free now have no business talking about being impeded upon in their liberty because they haven't even sought to creating as much liberty as they can with what they have. Which means if you give them greater ability to have more liberty, they literally will not have it. They won't. They will not have more. You could take away, you could say, give me ten restrictions on your liberty that government has placed there right now that you have a problem with. And they'd say, here they are. And no matter what they were, if you could then, like, fart a magical unicorn rainbow out of your ass and make them go away, that person in a year would be just as stuck, just as screwed as they are right now. They would have accomplished nothing. They've got, they would have gotten nowhere because they're the cow that says, I am held prisoner as a cow. But the cow literally likes being milked. They will not, as I've said in the past, behave like the pig. You put a pig on a ranch, some kind of situation, and you give that pig an inch space more than it needs to slip through a wire and get out. It's gone. And it goes feral in a generation. Feral doesn't mean bad. Feral means it behaves like a pig. So when I say I want you to act like a pig, I don't mean I want you to be like a pig from a standpoint of rolling around in the mud. And the only thing that you do productive in life is, is, is eat, fight, and make more pigs. I don't mean it that way. I mean from a standpoint of the pig is willing to be what it is, to find its true nature, to escape into its true nature, and to say, I will damn well live as I choose. 
And even if you catch it and put it back in a cage, the second it can get out, it will get out. And even if there's a bigger fence that it can't get past, it will keep testing each layer and get as far out as it can with as much freedom as it can. And it doesn't give a damn what you want. It will do what a pig does, which is eat, fight, and make new pigs. And it will build a generation of pigs that look like the wild pigs that it came from. That's what I mean. I want you to do that, but as a human. To behave like a human. To do what humans are supposed to do. And the thing that separates humans from the animal kingdom as we think of it, because taxonomically, nothing, but you know what I'm saying, is our ability to use logic and reason to design that liberty. So we're going to be talking about doing that today. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors today. Sponsor day number one today is RidgeWallet.com. I love the Ridge Wallet. Because one of the things I use my mind to do is protect myself from things like identity theft. And taking all of these you know, cards and IDs and stuff that have these RFID chips in them that can actually be sniffed with a little thing you can buy off eBay for like eight bucks, I don't like that. But if I case my stuff in titanium, you ain't doing that no more now, are you? Plus, it's minimalist. I just really love carrying the Ridge Wallet. Check them out today at RidgeWallet.com. They do a discount for MSB members. Heard from a lot of you guys that use the Ridge Wallet now. And it is just a great brand to have associated with what we do. Check them out today, RidgeWallet.com. Next up today, JM Bullion. We're talking about things like financial literacy today. That's one of the ways you can design more freedom in your life is to actually be financially literate. To know what the hell you're talking about when it comes to money. To understand money. Money is power. Well, silver and gold have a multi-thousand year history of being used as money. And they have never been, since there's been the concept of money, been worth nothing. Now, I'm not the all-in guy. I'm not to get rid of all your dollars and buy my silver and gold guy. It's not me. It's not me. I'm the 5 to 10% of net wealth in silver and gold guy. And I'm really personally 5. That's my number is 5%. 10 is kind of my upward limit on what I'm comfortable with recommending. So you want silver and gold in your life. You really do. Physical metal you can put your hands on, give to your heirs, trade with others, practice counter-economics with, etc. But why buy from Jam Bullion? They support the show in half for eight years. They give you a discount. No one does that. But if you're an MSB member, you get a discount. They ship everything free. And they already start out with better pricing than like Monix and Atmex, Monix, Atmex and other large silver houses, Lear Capital, etc. Check them out today at jambullion.com. With that, let's get into this. I want to start out with a uh, quote of the day for you today. And since this, I'm not really going to talk a lot about moving today. There'll be a little tiny piece about it. But since it all started from that mindset, and people fearing others coming to where they are. The quote that sprung to mind today as I was putting this together was from Mark Twain. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. I think a lot of the, the fear and animosity toward others comes from first being divided into us and them, which, by the way, guess who did that to you? The powers that be. And these assholes you see in the streets burning shit and all, they're the vast minority of Americans, period. Not of the left or the right, just Americans, period. But what they can do is they can take that asshole and they can use them to symbolize the entire them. So now the them isn't the them anymore, right? The them is the assholes that are running this thing, the elite that are in charge of everything, the ones that are manipulating you, the ones that actually steal from you. That's the them. But we'll make somebody else, some other group, the them. And then you fear them, and then you have bigotry toward them. You have narrow-mindedness toward your fellow Americans, toward your fellow human beings. Funny thing happens when you travel. If you actually visit real people in the real world, you realize that we're far more alike than we are different. 
and it is fatal to prejudice to travel. Uh, having traveled around a lot of parts of the world and been to a lot of places other than just the United States, I can tell you that we are not as different as people seem to think that we are. We are basically divided into two classes. We have producers and parasites. But I think that one of the things that we miss when we say that is when, we, when, you, when I say parasite, you probably think of things like welfare mamas and stuff like that. There's, there, there, is, there is the minor parasite, and then there is the super parasite. The state, its systems, and the oligarchy that empowers it and funds it, that's the super parasite. That's the true them. As soon as you start to meet and, and, and talk to other people in a calm, civilized manner, you realize very, very quickly, very, very quickly that we are not that different. So let's dig into this today with 18 things you can do to build liberty into your own life. And I, I want to come at this from a standpoint of these are all things that, number one, you can do. They are all doable. There is no one that can really say, well, I can't do that. I mean, I guess you can say that and then you can make that true. But there's not really a thing I'm going to give you today that a able-bodied human being cannot figure out how to implement in their life if they actually want to. And so they're all things that you can do, and they're all things that actually have an impact on your life in a positive way if you use them properly. So starting out, what we're looking for here is freedom. We're looking for freedom, liberty, and independence from not just the systems but from anyone that would seek to take from us. So we, we, we have to also come at this from an understanding of what makes people bow down to authority and give up their liberties. And, and I think a huge part of it comes from a, a fear of a lack of security. And when, when people say security, I think a lot of times they don't really hone in on what security means. What I said in my video today was the number one reason people live in cities, if you have to give it an, an you know, answer that question with a single word, is security. And if you say that out loud right now, people think you're crazy because they're like, I'm way more secure you know, in Jack's backyard than I am in downtown Dallas or downtown Portland or downtown Atlanta or whatever. And physically, from physical harm, sure. But the, the answer that most people would give when it comes to why people live in a city would be employment. Financial opportunity of some sort. Well, that's a form of security. That's a form of security. Being able to pay your bills, take care of your family, feed yourself, etc. is all from security. So, what we should be doing in our lives is building up as much security as we can for ourselves. Remember the old saying, those, those who prefer liberty, those who prefer safety over liberty deserve neither? Paraphrasing there, right? Well, you have to think about that from a standpoint of what's really going on there. We all want security. We all prefer security. What we're really looking to is what is the source of that security? Where does it come from? Because if that security comes from someone other than ourselves, then that is the entity that actually has power. If the security comes from ourselves, when we're secure in ourselves, in all walks, then we do not need to make that deal. 
So to me, not only are these all good things for us to do for ourselves, but they're good things for us to teach. Because if you want people to truly act like free, independent people, they have to have security. And the number one place that starts, and step one for me is, store food in a holistic manner. If, if you talk to anybody, especially a parent, chief among their concerns is, will I be able to feed my family? That is as, about as universal as it gets. I don't know anything that is more universal than fear of hunger, fear of starvation. So I, I think that every single one of us, and we should all be doing this as preppers anyway, needs to be storing food, but doing so in what I call a holistic manner. And I have an old article I wrote years ago on this. But storing food in a holistic manner means that we are going beyond... Here's a big pile of food in the pantry. We're going beyond copy canning. We're going beyond things like MREs or you know uh, Mountain House Number 10 cans or something like that. We're actually designing our life to have food resiliency in our lives. So it includes things like producing some of your own food. It includes things like learning to preserve food through like flash freezing and canning. But we take this very holistic approach to food storage. So that we can take away one of our most primal fears. I mean, the fact that it is a primal fear, ask yourself this. If you and your family were, let's say, on an airplane and it crashed in the mountains and the people flying the plane and all the other people were dead and somehow you and your kids and your wife were unharmed, And you, you realized and you looked around in this wilderness, there's nothing that even looks like a road. There's nothing that even looks like civilization. There's nothing. One of your very first thoughts is going to be, how do I feed myself and my family? It may not even should be your first thought. Because we can go without food a lot longer than, depending on the weather, shelter and water. And by the way, physical security, because if we get eaten by a bear, it doesn't matter how much food we have in our belly. It just makes the bear more full. But initially, the first thing people think of is what can we eat? And that tells you that it is primal. It is the thing that, that, that man has struggled with since man stood up on two legs for the first time, making sure that I can feed myself. So having that food storage is a huge part of creating that security to where I'm not willing to make a deal with the devil anymore. Next, right in there, grow some of your own food. I've done so much on that, I'm not going to go deep into that today. But if you're not producing any of your own food at all, you are more susceptible to the state and its lure of providing for you. Where I grew up and when I grew up as a kid, everybody grew their own food. Everybody did. And because of that, there was a certain independence that people had. And it was also the case that you didn't even think twice if a family came on hard times or just maybe you know something happened in the family where their life was disrupted. It wasn't really they were out of money or out of food, but they just had a problem. And there wasn't really anything you could do about the problem. Like sharing food would be the one thing you would just immediately do it. And everybody knew that. So there was a food stability that was there. And that comes not just from storage of food, but also the production of food. Next up today, become a systems thinker. 
One of the reasons that people panic so easily is when they see a problem, they don't look for a solution that they have control over. If you think about the way our society operates today, it primarily operates from a standpoint of here's a problem, government should fix it. Here's a problem, government caused, government should get out of the way. Well, we're still back to government. Instead of here's a problem, here's how I'm going to solve it for myself. Here's a problem that government creates by being in a way. Here's how I'm going to design my way around that problem. See, when you think that way, you're not immediately turning to either I need the government to fix this or the government is the problem. And the thing with the government being the problem is when we look at the scale of permanence, in the scale of permanence, regulations are like one level below a mountain and how difficult they are to change. So if government's my problem, right, it's perfect if I actually don't want to fix my problem to blame the government for my problem. It's a perfect excuse because it's so permanent that I can just keep claiming that, hey, if the government wasn't there, I'd be able to do all these wonderful things and I can't because they're there. It causes me to say I can't versus the most empowering words I've told you you can say for years now. How can I? So when somebody tells me, well, the reason I can't is because the government, let's stop about the government for a minute. What exactly is it you want to accomplish? And come at that from the mindset we've talked about a lot lately. If you don't want a drill, but you want a hole, what do you actually want? And I can usually, when a person says that, find three or four different paths to them getting there. They're not all easy, but they're all doable. And a lot of times it creates anger when you do it. Well, you just think, I, and you, well, whatever. I mean, they're, I, I don't understand why that won't work. And when the person says, well, it won't work because if they actually have a legitimate reason, well, how can we solve that? And it's almost inevitable that you can design around anything or find a solution. If you really are impeded in a way that can't be designed around, it's almost inevitably local governance and geographic relocation is one of the solutions in a design. But that's systems-level thinking. If you've never taken a PDC, I really recommend it. And even, I can always say that permaculture has way more to Permaculture design course is what a PDC is. Even though it has way more to do with just then growing food, most of a PDC is about horticultural systems. There's also a lot about you know, living conditions, housing, and things like that. But really, it is mostly on, on ways that you can design and grow food systems. But systems are systems. Patterns are patterns. And I think that a PDC radically transforms the way one thinks about addressing problems, i.e., the problem is a solution. So become a systems thinker. Start thinking much more about the totality of a design or the totality of a problem rather than the piece that you find to be the impediment. Next, even if you do not relocate, This goes back to our quote of the day, travel and consider relocation. The reason I say that consider relocation, even if you don't, is you will often find that people who blame where they are for what they can't have, when they actually look beyond the borders of their county, their city, their state, at how people live elsewhere, the way things are elsewhere, 
they realize that they are their own problem. And that where they are isn't that bad. And what they need to do goes back to the system's level of thinking. Often as well, people find out that those people over there, like in our quote of the day today, that are supposed to be the problem, ain't really the problem. And all this, see, I don't think actually your government wants you to take this advice about travel. I think they want you, I think they like COVID, and they like travel restrictions, and they like you being masked so you don't look at other people. They like all of it because it makes you easier to control. Because the number one thing you need to do, if you're a controlling bastard in a relationship, is make the person you're controlling feel like you're actually their friend. This is the abusive boyfriend again. You got to cut the abusive boyfriend always cuts the victimized girlfriend off from her friends. Those people aren't really your friends. They always use gaslighting, right? Which means they accuse you of what they're doing. The government is a perfect example of this on an ongoing basis. And part of it involves isolating you. So I think the more travel that you can do, the better off you are. Now use some common sense. I wouldn't go to downtown Portland right now. I really wouldn't. But it doesn't mean I might not go to Oregon. You know, it would depend. Always use common sense with this, but definitely travel. And and even if you are, like, let's say you travel to a place and you know I will never move here, not in a million years. Imagine what your life would be like there. Because it helps with the system's level thinking and it helps with a better understanding of the world around you. Next, absolutely learn foraging, gathering, fishing, hunting, etc. skills. Most people have no idea how many resources are in their backyard, down their road, around the corner, and two miles up the road. There, there's very few places you could put me in this country, especially in suburbia, where I couldn't find resources that I can use to feed myself or to provide myself with medicine, etc. There are so much available. And humans, in our nature of how we build things create edge this is part of permaculture principle all abundance is on the edge and if you if you want to know why suburban america is overrun with deer for instance all these deer eating people's you know azaleas or whatever it's because deer are an edge species and when we build suburbs into forest and into the countryside we create edge and when we create edge we create abundance You want to find berries? Don't go in the middle of the field and don't go in the middle of the forest. You know where you're going to find berries? Right where the forest and the field meet. Why? It's an edge. You're going to find berries in the wilderness along the side of the road, which the road is an artificial field, a glade, creating an edge with the woodland system. It's always edges that all abundance are on. And you know what else you're going to find there? Squirrels. You know why? They eat berries and nuts that, that exist in abundance at that edge and just inside of it. Like, the more we deal with this, the more we understand how much is available because we exist as a species and we start figuring out how to actually utilize it. I've had people tell me things like, you know, I really wish I had places around my, my area to fish and, and whatever. And I'm like, well, where do you live? Give me your address. You know? And sometimes they're comfortable enough to do it. I'm not coming to your house. I don't give a shit. And I'll pull up Google Maps, switch to the satellite view, and in like 10 minutes I'll send them an email and go, these are three places I would check and see if you can fish. And and, and, and usually one of them's like, well, I, I actually checked that out, and one of them actually is a pretty good place to go fishing. 
We have so much available. Learn how to forage, to gather, to fish, and to hunt, etc. Next, own firearms and train in their proper and safe use and also learn how to reload ammo. We're back to security here. Gun owners are more secure in their ability to defend their homes than non-gun owners, period. I listened to this guy recently on Fox News. He made me want to vomit with his virtue signaling to the left and saying, you know, he was a guy, Confessions of a New Gun Owner, or something was the article he wrote in the, the Times or something like that. And he was like, you know, I accept the contention that I'm more likely to kill somebody in my own family than a burglar, but I'm at peace with that because the chances of both are remote. But right now, if someone attacks me, I don't believe that the police can defend me. And he, his, his assertion was, You know, if I ever have to call 911 and it turns out they're not coming, then I at least I have a gun. And I'm like, God, you're an idiot. I, I mean, I'm glad you're coming around. But what he's presupposing there is, well, before all these problems, I could have just called 911. If you have everything working perfectly and somebody's trying to get in your home who means to harm you, 911 isn't fast enough. But I'm, I'm, today I'm talking about the stability in your life that comes from lifestyle design, and part of that is an emotional and spiritual acceptance of you are in control of your own life. And firearms are one way that we do that. And when we hear this crap that you're more than likely to shoot somebody in your own family and you shoot a burglar, it's bullshit. It's bullshit, because let me tell you where that statistic comes from, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you. What they include in that is when Roger decides he's had enough of living, pulls out his .45, sticks it in his mouth and, mouth, and tragically blows his own brains out. And then they present the statistic that includes suicides, as though mom heard a noise in the night and came downstairs and shot Johnny while he was playing a video game. No, wait, that's what cops do. I'm sorry, that wasn't mom, that was the cops in Dallas that shot a lady playing video games. No, that really ha I know you're pissed now and I'll triggered some of you. No, that actually happened in Dallas. That actually happened in Dallas. A lady was in her house late at night, it was like wee hours, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, playing video games. Not a no-knock more, this is not Breonna Taylor, none of that. She was playing video games. She had her door open because it was a nice night. So she left her door open a little bit to let a breeze through the house. Apparently that was a crime. So a neighbor seeing this, being concerned, called the police instead of just checking on her. The police came, looked in the window, saw the lady playing video games, and one way or another thought she was dangerous, and shot her in her own home through her window and killed her. And then you have the audacity to tell me that I'm more likely to kill my, my grandson or something uh, because I own a gun than I am to ever defend my home with it. It's bullshit. It's bullshit because they trump it up with... The suicide number. And if a person wants to die, they're going to die. If somebody really wants to take their life, they might use a gun because it's convenient, but if they don't have a gun, they'll figure it out. There's a lot of ways to make yourself dead. So firearms are not a big danger. And notice I said the safe use. And if you have proper procedures and protocols for how you store and keep and use and deploy your firearms, they are as safe as anything else in your home that could be dangerous. Like, I don't know, an electrical cord or a staircase. So, yeah, have guns, know how to use them, train with them in their proper and safe and effective use. And train with them so that if you do need to use them, you can use them and use them definitively.
If you think about the shooting that happened in a church not far from my home in Texas this year, where an older gentleman working security drew his gun and shot the dude with the shotgun in the head and ended that man's life after he shot two other people, who knows how many lives were saved. But if you watch that tape, that was not tentative. That was immediate and definitive. And if you get into a, a, a potentially lethal situation, you need to act that way. Or your gun actually becomes a danger, not to your brother or your sister or your kids or your wife or your husband, but to you when the person that you pointed at takes it away from you and shoots you with it. So learn to use weapons effectively. Next, pay off your debt. This is the number one thing that came from people when I asked this question. What have you done in your life that's made you more free than voting ever could? Number one answer, probably eight out of ten answers was, I paid off my debt like you said, and my life radically transformed, and I've never thought about freedom the same way ever again. The day I became debt-free, I became free. Debt freedom is freedom. You cannot be free when someone owns a piece of you. And I understand taxation, and we'll get to it. But taxation is, hey, I'm going to work for a dollar, and somebody's getting 20 cents of it. And there's a lot of things we can do about that. A lot of things we can do about that. But if I owe you $20,000, and I have to pay you a minimum payment for the next 10 years, you own that time. Debt is measured in months and years, not in dollars. How many months and years of my life must I work to repay that debt to you, largely for something I bought long ago and don't use anymore. That's the life of most, most Americans today. Debt freedom, at minimum, debt freedom except the house. I'm okay with a mortgage on a home. In a lot of instances, financially, a mortgage on a home makes sense compared to paying a home off, even if you have the money. Almost every other debt doesn't make any sense. Get rid of your debts. That, and, and that's another reason. If you think about how many of our young people are, are willing to sign their lives over to socialism, tell me, tell me that one of the most driving influences in that demographic isn't student loan debt. And why do you think they wanted every child to go to college in the first place and said, don't worry about it, you'll get a loan, and then you'll make more money and be able to pay it back. And, oh, you can't, huh? It's going to be 30 years to pay your student loans off. That's okay. That's okay. Bernie Sanders will fix it for you. Oh, not Bernie Biden will. I mean, Harris. Come on. They're making this deal because of debt. You want to control somebody, put them into your debt. So eliminate the debt so that you're the one that's in control. Next, become a lifelong, long learner, a lifelong, self-directed learner. Become someone who constantly is educating yourself. And most of you come from the government school system, so you're going to have to take an entire, probably at least a year of your life, to re-educate yourself on how to educate yourself to how to actually think critically, to how to actually dissect an idea, to how to actually learn something. So the best place to actually start is hard skills. Hard skills are the best place to start with learning because hard skills don't give a shit about your feelings. Not A while ago, we got my grandson, my wife went to a craft fair or something like that around the holidays, and she got him a bow and arrow. It was, it was kind of a cool little thing. It's like, these, it's like a toy bow and arrow. And it's got the little foam balls on the end of the arrow shaft so like you could shoot your buddy from like five feet away it won't hurt but you can learn how to shoot a bow i thought it was kind of cool 
So I was teaching him how to shoot a bow, and there's a lot of things he didn't have to learn because this bow had a hole through the middle of the bow itself, so the arrow went in that hole. So you didn't have to worry about a rest. And if you've ever shot a bow, you know it's a big part of, especially like a long bow, how to manage that rest with your finger, not hurt your finger, keep the arrow on the rest, all that. But you didn't have to worry about that. Basically, you have to be able to hold the bow in stationary position, draw the string, and do a proper release. That's what you got to be able to do. And I'm sitting here showing him exactly what to do, and he's going his own way and not paying attention. And it doesn't work. And he lets go, and the arrow just falls on the ground in front of him or doesn't go anywhere. The string pops, and the arrow just sits there. Right? And finally I said, listen, buddy, that bow and arrow doesn't give a shit about what you want. You can either pay attention, because he was not paying attention to what my instructions were. He was just like five steps ahead of me with no idea what he was doing, which is okay. And I, I said, you can also, you can stop listening to me. You can go out there and mess around with it, and I bet you'll figure it out. But if you want to know, there's a procedure, and that bow and that arrow don't care about your feelings. That's how it works for all hard skills. And it's why it's one of the best places for an adult who is breaking free of the programming that the education system has done to start. Because you can convince yourself that you're right about anything as long as it is 100% intellectual. If you decide you want to learn how to grow a garden and you plant a whole bunch of shit and it dies, that's because nature doesn't give a shit about your feelings. If you want to learn how to sharpen a knife and you don't follow the, 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 the technique properly, and your knife is dull, the knife doesn't care about your feelings. It won't cut well. If you want to learn how to build a bookshelf, and you don't properly learn how to square up material, it'll be a wobbly piece of crap, and it doesn't care about your feelings. So the beauty of learning hard skills, any of them, how to shoot a gun, how to shoot a bow, how to go fishing, the beauty of hard skill learning is... There is real-world, real-life feedback that tells you, guess what, dummy, you suck at this. You got it wrong. You're going to have to go back to the drawing board, Billy, and try to do this all over again. So then you will. And eventually, you'll develop a process that works for you when you want to learn something. You'll realize that learning means being challenged by something, and having that challenge have to be overcome, that crying won't fix it, I remember I was a little kid, man. I'm talking a little kid here, so nobody gets on my shit. I'm talking like being five, six years old. I discovered I could ride a bicycle. And all the big kids had ramps. They were jumping ramps. And their ramps were bigger than mine. And I didn't want to jump one of their ramps yet because, well, that could probably hurt me since I don't know what I'm... I was smart enough to know what I didn't know. So I start trying to build a little ramp. I figure I'll build a little ramp, and I'll go over it. And when I can land right, I'll make the ramp bigger. And I was out, and I, I got a bunch of two-by-fours from a construction site. And again, I'm like six years old when this is going on. And some plywood. And I realized I need to cut these pieces of plywood and nail them together and then attach, not the plywood, the two-by-fours, to make the, the up part of the ramp. And then I need to put the piece of plywood on there as, as, the, as the ramp itself, and then I can go over it. So I'm out there with a cross-cut saw trying to cross-cut a two-by-four. And I'm Red in the face, ready to cry. Old man comes out, my grandfather, what are you trying to do? I tell him. He goes, let me show you. And he goes through it like it's a like a power saw. Doesn't cut. I need three. He cuts one. Shows me how to do it and leaves me there to figure it out. The two-by-four and the cross-cut saw didn't give a flying fart about the fact that I was only six years old. I had to learn to overcome the challenge. 
And once you can do that with hard skills, you start to realize and you educate your, yourself differently when it comes to intellectual and academic goals. Now we're not seeking to confirm that which we believe, and we're not seeking to please a teacher who has told us what to believe. We're seeking to actually learn, so we actually challenge ourselves. On that note, right in it with this one about being a lifelong learner, seeing to the next generation, get your kids out of the government schools. And then they won't have to go through this bullshit. Because they won't be conditioned to confirm their bias and try to please their instructor. They'll actually learn how to learn. Next, develop a business or a side hustle. There is nothing more empowering than having independent income and multiple streams of it. There's nothing that gets you closer to telling your boss to go screw than having an independent income. People have a couple grand even of income a month as a side hustle. They always have another option. They always at least have a bridge to the next J-O-B. And what's funny about the world of employment, if you're going to stay an employee, the less that you need them, the more they will do to keep you. I've said this before with different shows, but the most powerful word in sales and marketing is no. That's the most powerful thing you can tell a customer is no. If you tell them no the right way at the right place at the right time, they will literally beg you to give them something, to offer them something that they can have. Well, employers work the same way. The employee that's like, man, I need my job. God, i got to have my job. I'm loyal and dedicated and hardworking. You are a doormat. The employee that, that, that can go on an interview and they're like, well, why are you thinking of moving? Well, the reason I was thinking of moving and working for your company is – I'm examining the potential that you offer me greater opportunity. I'm not sure that you do, so I'm not necessarily looking to move. I'm looking for greater opportunity, and I'm here today as the first step in determining whether or not you offer that or not. Your stock just went up 20 points with that employer. They may not like it. That may not be what they were hoping to hear. But either your stock value with that employer went up or you don't want to work there. Well, the person that has some component of their own income is more likely to be that person. It's something you really can't fake. Not giving a shit that much whether somebody hires you or not, you cannot fake that. I mean, unless you are a Hollywood-level actor, you can't fake it. But you can be it. You can be it. And I'm telling you from experience, they will beg you to come work for them. They will. The person that says, the most we can pay for this position is X... And you say, I'm not sure that that works. I'm not sure that that's sufficient for me to justify moving at this point in my career. I'll have to consider that. Goes back and sees what X plus blank really can be. So develop that business or side hustle. But the money that it offers is tremendous as well. You know, I, I always tell people, the, the, what you do with a side hustle or a small business or whatever is you figure out how to make $100 in profit a month. That's all you do. You figure out how to make $100 in profit a month. Nothing you do in your life will be radically changing to your life in a way that you wish you didn't do it at that income level. You won't have to, like, get a divorce, right? You won't have to, like, beat your children. You won't have to, like, sell the dog. You won't have to go get, get a giant business license and some sort of, you know, $7,000 worth of legal fees. You can figure out how to make 100 bucks doing something. I can figure out how to make 100 bucks a month pretty easy selling surplus plants out of my fish aquariums, as an example. 
whatever you do, and when you configure, and you actually, then you have to figure out by doing the math, and not what you tell the government you lost, but what you actually had to spend against, you know, what is the real profit, because there's two profits. There's your profit, and there's the profit you report to the government, and both of those are legal things, and they're okay. But from a real profit standpoint, I actually made $100. And then you sit back and say to yourself, self, was it worth it? How many hours did I have into this? You know, if you have four hours of work into something, and it made you $100 in real profit, and that includes, like, if I technically lost money, even though I didn't lose money, and now I get, you know, to take a tax deduction and add that on, or... I actually made 100, but I'm paying tax on 50, so that's like making 120 at my tax bracket. You see how that all works. You figure out, like, what did I actually make an hour here? Did this, did this make me happy, unhappy, miserable, content? Am I learning from it? Is there something else? And if it passes the basic sniff test there, double it. Now you got 200 bucks. Double it one more time. Now you got 400 bucks. And as you double it the second and third time, Actually, the first and the second time, up to that $400 level. Keep reevaluating it. Am I having to make radical changes to my life and determine, like, where does it stop scaling as a convenient way to make extra money? I didn't say it was easy, but it's, it's relatively, like, your, your life is not destroyed over it. And then how far does it scale? Can it scale into something full-time? Does that really make sense? Is it something you want to do for a little while and quit just to learn from? But a person that can scale to 400 bucks in profit a month, that's almost five grand a year that you don't have right now. That's bigger than the raise that you're ever going to get by begging an employer for one. And all the skills that you learn from it can translate, because almost inevitably, whatever you do as your first one will not be your big one, if there ever is going to be a big one. But you have to develop some level of secondary income. Learn to work the tax code. And I put building a business or a side hustle before the tax code because for many of you, you can't work the tax code. I get people all the time asking me, well, how exactly do I focus on that 90% of the tax code to get out of it? And I'm like, what kind of business or side hustle do you have? I don't have one. You don't have hardly anything available to you. You don't have anything. The tax code was written to pilfer the employee. They can talk about taxing the wealthy all they want. The wealthy are not going to pay the taxes because the wealthy have corporations, and they, they, they model the tax payments into their pricing models. Employees pay the taxes, and they pay, pay the brunt of the taxes, and they feel the brunt of the weight of the taxation. And when you structure things in your life so that you have the ability, because this is, this is a, as blunt as I can make it. If you are nothing but an employee, you earn, then you pay tax, and then you spend whatever you get, spend or save whatever you get to keep. If you have a business, you earn and spend as much as you can within the auspice of that business, You pay tax on the remainder, and then you keep a portion of that. And when you build a lifestyle business, you can bolt a lot of things from your life into your business. And I don't want to be more specific than that, but that's how you learn to work the tax code. You also get a CPA and possibly, depending on your level, a tax attorney. 
And I get nothing. Well, can you tell me a good tax attorney and CPA that I can get? Okay, first of all, you're in Nebraska, so no. But, again, if you're just an employee, that advice doesn't help you. That's why I'm so big on the side hustle, because even the side hustle, it's not that big of an impact yet. It leads to the thinking that creates the side hustle or the business that is. Because the number one way that you are a slave next to debt is tax debt. You have to start actually thinking of taxes like debt, but you didn't even get the fun of spending the money. Right? So at least if I borrow $20,000 on a credit card over a few years to party and have fun and be as wasteful with it as I can, I got to do that shit. It's, I, I, I bought something for it. Now I'm probably paying three times or four times as much with interest. But at least I, I, and I chose to do it. Tax is like a debt on your income before you have it. In fact, it literally is. You are a walking freaking bond. That's how your government views you. Your birth certificate is a bond. Now, I'm not getting all conspiratorial into where that world goes. You can go there if you want. But literally, the way that your government is able to borrow money and promise to repay it tomorrow is straight off of your back and your expected age that you'll die at and how long you're expected to work and their ability to tax you. Because what income source does a government have other than taxation? The answer is none, in case you didn't know. So your taxes is the government's debt that bought the shit the government wanted, whether you wanted it or not. And when you start seeing it, well, you realize that the, the, the tax they take from you is your debt. So if you can minimize your debt, if I said to you, hey, look, I know you owe 20 grand in credit card, on a credit card here, and uh, based on your income level, and the fastest, if you, if you follow Dave Ramsey to the T, that you could pay this back is in three years. And this $20,000 in that three-year period of time is going to cost you $45,000. But if you'll make a phone call and talk to these other credit card people that have a lower interest rate that will approve you, you'll save $11,000 over three years. And in fact, not only that, now it won't take you three years to pay it off. You'll be able to pay it off in two years and two months. Would you make the phone call? Sadly, some people wouldn't. Most people would. Working the tax code is the same thing. The government has presupposed a debt on your income. You need to get creative with pushing back against it. Because freedom can't be granted to you. You can only take it. And this is one of the places that we have the most ability to take it back that there is. Taxation. Practice counter-economics and use cryptocurrency. I really recommend that you get a cryptocurrency wallet. I recommend Jack's Liberty. Uh, you can find it at jacks.io. I don't get any money for that. Let me tell you another thing, too. Stop this crap with, I saw a lot of negative reviews. Well, what do you think? Either the negative reviews matter to you or don't. I've been using the damn thing for years. Everybody I know that uses it likes it. If you want a different wallet, I don't care. I don't have stock in Jack's just because my name is Jack. But get your ass a cryptocurrency wallet and start trading cryptocurrency with people. Even if you don't want to go buy it, fine. Do something. Produce something. Have that side hustle and take cryptocurrency. You don't need a merchant account. You don't need to do anything other than install a wallet and the person you're doing business with say, send me money here. Well, I have Ethereum. Here's an address. Send it to me. Oh, now you have money. 
You, if you ever want to turn it back into cash, you'll need to learn how to set up an exchange. You have to do know your customer shit, verify your ID, pay tax when you convert back to cash, whatever. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to then go to somebody, hey, who takes this shit? I want to buy something from you and start understanding that you can literally operate in an economy that's independent of the banking system. And when I say the banking system, I don't just mean your local bank that you write a check from. Or deposit your income into. I mean the global banking system that creates your money. You can operate outside of that. Get involved with counter-economics and cryptocurrency. Notice I said end. Counter-economics is anything that you do outside of their system. If you decide you really like making mead, for instance, it's a gray market product. It's technically illegal for you to sell your buddies mead. But mead and making mead is not illegal. It's not like selling heroin. And if you can make really good mead, I bet you know that $100 a month little little bogey I gave you there, right? You can do way better than that without taking any real risk. Because you don't advertise on Facebook that you sell a mead. You sample your mead out. So you use the drug dealer's model, right? You give everybody the first one free. And they go, hey, man, can I get some more of that? You know, you know i got to cover my expenses, You never say I'm going to sell it to you. I just have to cover my expenses. They don't know that some of your expenses are, you know, not directly related to the meat itself. Like, you know, your desire to have money is one of your expenses. Use the gray market world. You know, if you are making, and people are like, oh my God, that's illegal. And the same person you'd say, well, you know, I got this little business that I run. Uh, I make really great tacos. And every Tuesday for Taco Tuesday, I make up a shitload of tacos and have like uh, a whole bunch of friends that work in different offices. And I go deliver those tacos and then they pay me for those tacos. They say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Why? Because the ATF's not involved. The FDA would be involved, right? Because I'm not a licensed vendor of food or whatever bullshit that they have for me. I don't care. As long as you're not advertising on Facebook that you can order tacos from you without a license or whatever's required in your area. You can probably do that till the, the cows come home. There's a lot of other ways to do counter-economics. I don't want to be too specific here, but practice counter-economics. Learn about agorism. Get and learn to use a 3D printer. This is the one I can speak of the least because I haven't done it myself yet, but I am going to buy one from Sal the Agorist at 3D Printer Go Burr. I'll put a link in today's show notes. I do need to get one of those bought from him. I told him I would do it a while ago, and I haven't done it yet. You can buy it with cryptocurrency. So if you're like, well, I want to buy something with cryptocurrency, nobody sells anything, we're going to get, get a 3D printer with cryptocurrency with no KYC with Sal, by the way. That means that know your customer. That means no one will know that you bought it. Between you and him and, I don't know, I guess the mailman that drops it off. But a 3D printer, I think, is one of those things that's, that's up there with, like, hard skill learning. Because I don't th one of the reasons I want to buy a 3D printer isn't like I'm going, oh, here's all the things I can do with it. It's that I know that I will never understand what it can do for me until I actually learn to use it. So I think 3D printing is something that is huge in empowering individual freedom and liberty. The ability to manufacture something for yourself because you want it. Are there limitations? There's limitations on everything. Growing your own food has a limitation on it. But it doesn't mean we don't do it. Spend time in the woods, in nature, the forest is the teacher. This is something I'm huge on. I believe that one of the reasons that we are so insecure in our lives and so willing to sell out our own liberty is we don't have a certainty of who and what we really are. 
there is something that happens to us when we when we go into a forest, even a little woodlot or anything. But I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about a true forest. Hopefully, like a farm forest primeval, something with old growth in it. When you're in there, you literally feel like what you are, which is you're inside an organism. But you know, I talked earlier about the you know the pig versus the cow and being a true human and a feral human. Humans, I, I think maybe people will struggle with this, but in in, in my belief. Based on my understanding of humans and our our history, we're forest creatures. We are forest creatures. That's that's what we really are. And when we when we get back into that environment, we remember what we really are, and we remember how powerful we are. And in remembering that power, remembering our ability, because what we are is we are. And I know some people that are religious will get upset by this word, and you shouldn't, because this has nothing to do with your faith, and it doesn't take anything away from it. We are co-creators with the creative force behind this planet. It doesn't take away anything from whatever faith you, you profess. But we do that through design. The fact that we can go into a forest and leave most of it alone, but carve out a little niche for ourselves, and change that ecosystem without hurting it. That's co-creation. We actually are creating our environment for ourselves. The level of power that that represents is massive. And people that feel their own power don't give it away. Get into the woods. Get into nature. Let the forest be your teacher. Develop financial literacy. We talked a lot about debt. Money, one way or another, is the number one means of control in the world today. No matter what you say you need, I need food, and how do you get food? You get food with as long as you get your food with money, we're back to money. You know, I need health care. As long as you get your health care with money, we're back to money. As long as some, even if you're not paying the bill because you're on government health care, but if somebody's paying the bill, we're back to money. If if debt is the number one way that I can control you, we're back to money. If the main reason you're willing to work for me is because you need money, we're back to money. Money is the primary means of control in the world. And at the same time, it is the thing that the largest number of people are completely and wholly ignorant to. The average person today cannot tell you how a dollar is created. If you don't know how a dollar is created, I don't care if you think you have a degree in economics, you don't understand money. You can't understand money if you don't know how it's created. They don't know how it's created. They, even people are like, well, it's inflation. They don't know what it means. If you think inflation is just when they print more money, if that's all that inflation is, you don't understand money. You don't understand inflation. You have zero. If you believe that you have zero financial literacy, if you don't understand something like this, inflation is not just the, the creation of new dollars, but the velocity of money in how it moves and grows and is spent through the economy. If you don't understand what I just said, you are this is not a, a hit on you. It's just true. You are financially ignorant. You are economically ignorant to how money works. Most people don't know anything about money. And the first place to start is with a vocabulary. Most people have no understanding of the basic vocabulary of money. When you hear about you know investment manipulation or something like that, or oil manipulation, if you don't understand basic terms from, let's say, futures investing... Like a short, a long, a put, a call, a naked short versus a covered short, or a naked call versus a covered call. If all of those mean nothing to you, you're financially illiterate. 
You don't know what basis points are, right? You don't know what PMI is and what it really is and what it isn't and how to avoid it and whether you should or not when it comes to a mortgage. Your financial They don't teach you this shit in school. Because no government will ever educate you sufficiently to overthrow the government that's providing you your education. That's why. The number one way that we could radically take control of our lives is become financially literate. That's why so little effort goes into it in the school system. No, think about it. Nothing has greater impact on your life than money. Nothing is used more to entice you than money. Every child should go to college. is not really sold to you from a standpoint of the value of an education from just that it's a good thing. In the end, the case is always made that people who go to college make more money than people that don't. Your teacher is there mainly because they, they love the children. No, teachers mainly have the job of being a teacher because they want money. They're always saying they need more of it. They're always saying they're underpaid. Clearly, money's important. You can't tell me a thing in this world that has greater impact on the lives of every single person in what we call the civilized world, because there are indigenous cultures that couldn't give a flying fart about money. That tells us something, too. But if you're going to live in this world, money has massive impact, and you have the lowest education investment in it that there is. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Why would you ever teach a child about money so they grow into an adult that says, wait a minute, what are you doing with my money? And you can't dazzle them with bullshit at that point. They can actually look at it and go, I see what you're doing with my money, and that's not good. I don't like it. Not from some mile-high macro level with, oh, you're spending it all on liberal programs or conservative programs or whatever. Not enough of it's going to this pet program. No, but actually to go, hey, look, at here's the money. Here, Wait a minute. Trillion dollars? What? That's the real money now. Wait a minute. They don't want that. And what they want even less is you having enough financial literacy to manage your own life to develop wealth, and to create true generational wealth so that not only your children but your grandchildren and their grandchildren are free from their system built on money that they keep you ignorant of. So yeah, financial literacy is kind of important if you can't tell. Next, develop your own communities and groups for mutual support and aid. If you don't know your neighbors, you are wrong. If you don't know how to pick up the phone and call your general neighbors around you and say, hello, this is Bill, here's what's going on, You are wrong. You need to make an effort to know your neighbors. That may not be the core of your community. You may have to go wider than that because your neighbors may not be that great. But people are powerful. People you don't think of as powerful are powerful. There is so much power in community. So we've done whole shows on this, so I don't want to go too deep into it today, but you definitely need to be doing that if you want freedom in your life. Because another reason that people are willing to make deals with the devil is they feel alone. They feel alone. You think about every story or movie or whatever, when somebody cut the deal with the devil, the real devil, right? You know, when the devil comes and makes the deal with you, they were always at rock bottom type locations in their life. They always felt isolated. If you, if you Back to the abusive boyfriend. If you want to control somebody, you isolate them and then you offer them comfort. It's very hard to isolate people in tight community. Why do you think they've put so much effort into destroying the family in America? Specifically in minority communities. They have ripped the family out of the black community. I'm not saying no, black, no members of the black community have strong families anymore. I'm saying that 
the percentage that do has been drastically decreased over the last 70 years. And it's so effective that it has to be by design. Well, why? You, wanna, you want to make somebody willing to make a deal with you for comfort and protection and security, isolate them. So the, what is the exact count? See, a lot of this is what's being done, what's the counter? What's the counter to isolation? Strong community. So build strong community. Next, stop worrying about what might happen and using it as an excuse not to act. I had several people in my video today. Well, sooner or later, you're going to come take it from you, too. You're just running a little bit ahead of the curve, and they're going to get your stuff, too. They'll come take it because they took it from Indians or something. All kinds of bullshit. You know what that person's really saying? I don't want to work hard in my life for the things that I say that I want. That doesn't mean I won't go to the mill and work hard every day. That doesn't mean you haven't worked since the, you know the, the, you were old enough to get your first job and, and physically worked hard. But what it really means is I don't want to take that extra effort. I don't want to do all this shit you talk about. I don't want to have to have a second business. I don't, I don't want to have to work to learn the tax code. I don't want to become financially literate. I don't want to learn how to grow my own food. I, I like being in debt. I don't want to be bothered by any of this, so I'm just going to use an excuse that even if I did, somebody would take it away from me. Quit being a bitch. I mean, really. People that do that, you're just being a bitch. Stop worrying about what might happen. It was When I first got into this, I would talk about growing a garden, and people were like, well, when the shit hits the fan, then people are going to come and steal my tomatoes, and I won't have any. So shut up. Just say you don't want a garden. I respect that. I mean, I do think it's one of our steps toward freedom and liberty, but I also understand that not everybody's going to do it. That's why we just had community. You build strong community, and you find out there's people in that community that love to grow food, and can grow more than they need, and then you tie into what you can do for them. But this crap about, well, then somebody will take it. You're a cow instead of a pig. You're the cow that I can turn off the electric fence, and you won't even test it to see if the power is still on. And if another cow kind of turned into a pig and went over and went, Hey, Tom, the fence is off. Let's go. Oh, they'll just turn it back on. When I'm trying to get through it, they'll turn it back on and I'll get shocked in my walls. Or I'll get outside and then they'll turn it back on and I won't be able to get back in to get my food tonight. Or I'll get outside and they'll come and they'll lasso me and bring me back inside anyway. I, I'm not going. And Steve the Cow's like, dude, let's, well, that used to be Steve the Bull and Tom the Bull. Come on, man, let's go. Nah, nah, they'll just take it from me. Don't do that. Stop worrying about what might happen. Start building based on what you have now. It is much harder to take something from somebody than it is to prevent them from getting it. Do you understand that? Number one way you can protect the right to keep and bear arms is be a gun owner and make more gun owners. If you have more than half the people that own and keep and have firearms, it's very hard to take them away. If you're down to 20% of a population being armed, it gets easier and easier to take. As the lower that goes, the easier it is to take away. So everything that you're worried about being taken from you, you make it more difficult to take from you by having it in the first place. Think of it like a sporting event. Is it easier to prevent your opponent from scoring or to take points back off the scoreboard? There are some things that can happen in most games where points went on the scoreboard and then they come off the scoreboard. But it's really, really difficult. Once the points are earned, they're there. Now, all you can do is earn more on the other side. That's how a lot of these rights are. When they're used, 
when they're when when things are possessed, when things are built, when things are designed to be resilient, it's a lot harder to take them away than to prevent people from doing it in the first place. Because all I have to do to prevent you from doing it is convince you it's not worth your time. I don't actually have to pass a law. If I want to use a law, all I have to do is convince you that a law applies to you in a way that it doesn't really apply to you. Because if you are a little bit lazy, I only push a little bit against that lazy button, and you don't act. But once you have something, convincing you you shouldn't have it or you can't have it or it's my right to take it away is a lot more difficult. So stop using excuses. Stop worrying about what might happen and start worrying about what is. I should not have to say this one, number 17, but be a prepper. Just all around be a good prepper. People that are well prepared are not only prepared to take care of themselves and see their own security, they're well prepared to take care of their neighbors. And they tend to take care of their neighbors. And every time you take care of a neighbor, you build community. It all becomes retroactive through everything else we talked about today. But you also then send a message to that person. Bill was here for me when I needed help. My community, not just Bill, but my community is my first place to go for help. And thereby I have an obligation to provide help back. Government provides you the solution. We just take some money out of your account every month, and then that's taken care of. We do it for you. You don't have to worry about it. So again, you look to the counter. You look to the counter of any given situation. Since the government has taken away the need for helping others and the need for helping yourself, you step up and do it anyway, and you provide that assistance to others, and you counter that move. This is being smart about how we counter the state. Because voting for a different party every month or every two years is not going to change things. It really isn't. And the fact that it hasn't in your lifetime should end the argument that it will. The last one I find really interesting, I believe in coincidences sometimes. I got started a bit late today. I really did. And the person left this on the blog in response to my video from yesterday. And they said, I'm actually going to read it here. I know this comment won't get to you soon enough for Tuesday's podcast. Wrong! It did! Isn't that great? Anyway, but I am writing to you for the first time since I've joined. My seven-year dream has been to be a full-time RV traveler, basically going wherever I want to, staying wherever I can. I'm in a 41-foot motor coach pulling a Jeep behind it. And using my seal set as a contractor specializing in kitchen designing, remodeling, and cabinet sales, and install wherever I go. What I want to know, has there ever been any conversation about full-time living on the road? I think we've talked about it a little bit. Um, having the domain in Texas or South Dakota where there's uh, no state income tax, and using companies that are a domicile for your mail, health insurance, auto insurance registration, I realize this is a little harder to be solely self-sufficient, in fact, um, that I can make a large gar I can't make a large garden and, and and have my own land to park on. Just planting the seed and input for you and others who have experience, opinions, or warnings about this type of lifestyle. So one of my warnings would be sometimes when you do a certain activity in a state, even though you are incorporated in another state, you become subject to the state that you're in's tax requirements. Uh, I got a really big bill as a partner in a business one time from work that contractors we had didn't. California, even though the contractors were supposed to pay the state income tax while they were doing the work there, since they were contractors that we 1099 and they didn't pay the bill, instead of going after them, they came after us and made us pay it. 
And we kind of had to because of the situation we were in. So that would be an example of just because you're based in Texas, if you're doing contracting work in California, you may still have to pay California taxes, but it depends. Now, of course, we were running a payroll and things like that, so that changed the dynamic, and I'll let you figure that out for yourself. But what I changed this to, instead of you know live full-time in an RV, was this for my final bullet point today. Dare to dream and to design your dreams. Stop what making what might happen an effing excuse. Bluntly, don't be a pussy. So many comments that I get on YouTube when I put these videos out, I don't get them from you guys in, in the audience at all. But when you really read through what's being said, it's total defeatism. It's bitching, 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 and no solution. It's crying about a problem without a solution. And like I said, crying about a solution, crying about a problem without a solution makes the, 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 the tits on a boar hog look really useful. It really does. And there is a place in this world to just say, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to be a grown-ass man, grown-ass woman. I'm going to sit down. And before I start designing, I'm going to design with the end in mind. So I need to figure out what I'm designing. Instead of just designing a garden or just designing a workshop or just designing a business, I'm going to start out with, What is my dream? That's what this started out with. My dream has been to. And even if you don't get it perfect, at least you'll be designing and working and building your dream. There's all this crap about fighting back and pushing back and, oh, I'm a patriot and all this other crap. If you don't actually have a dream, then you don't have a dream to defend. And if you only have a dream, then all you're defending is an idea. If you have within you the ability to not only define a dream and not just be ethereal about it. Oh, to live on a tropical island. Well, get your ass to doing it then, right? You actually define exactly what you want and then you're willing to ask yourself, why do I want this and what would my life be like if I had this? Because what that really is is sanity checking. Is this what I really want or is this just something I've created in my mind? My holodeck of my mind. So that I can make excuses for my life. And it's not what I really want. It's just, it's just my little carrot dangling in front of the donkey to keep me going every day. Because that shit only takes you so far and eventually leads you to misery. But when you actually analyze it, and if you destroy it, because it really isn't what you want, you're one step closer to figuring out what you do. And once you know what you want, you can design it and you can have it. People get good at anything they try to get good at. I've talked about that a lot. People get results wherever they put their efforts. Most of us, we, you can work really hard, but if your effort's not going toward what you actually want, I don't know what to say. Somebody had a thing on, on MeWe. It was pretty funny, but it was true. It was a Venn diagram of my life. and had three circles, except they weren't interconnected. There was a gap in between them. And it said, you know, things I'm good at, things that, 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 that I, 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 I enjoy and things that work for me or make me money, something like that. And then there was like this like like weird amoeba-shaped thing that went all around everywhere but inside any of those three circles. You can be that person, and you can feel like, I work, and you'll, you'll tell me, and you'll be indignant. I work hard every day. You don't know. You've got it so easy now. I work 14-hour freaking days, seven days a week, man, to pay the bills and take care of my family. You don't know shit. Yeah, but... Is any of that effort going toward your dreams? 
do you even know what your dreams are? My dream is not to have to do this anymore. Okay, that's a good place to start, but then what do you want to do? This is hard, but it's not. It's hard because you've got to stop and you've got to do. And we've been conditioned not to. The entire methodology of controlling America can be summed up as you convince everyone that their problems are not their fault. Once you've done that, you can use financial ignorance. You can use prejudice. You can use a lack of ability to feed yourself. You can use poverty. Once you convince people, whatever's wrong in my life isn't my fault, is, is, is a default position for people to take. You can use any of these things or all of these things in very simple but sophisticated means to have complete and total control over people and to eventually move society to whatever you want it to be. That's what you live in today. And that's the number one thing is it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's these other people. All these people freaking out on the right about liberals, liberals, liberals. Liberals are under your bed hiding. Ooh, they're going to come out and get you. Oh, come on. Most of what's wrong in your life is your fault. Sorry. Mine too. Always has been. That means that you are your own answer. So dare to dream and to design your dreams. Stop making what might happen an effing excuse and don't be a pussy. That's number 18 in making your life more free and have more liberty through designing your life. And I submit to you that every single thing I gave you today works better than voting. Do that too. Go ahead, man. Go ahead, man. Just leave me alone about it. My final thoughts are either you will or you won't. Either you will or you won't. You could have listened to this whole thing, be all jazzed up now, but it's up to you. Are you actually going to do it? Are you going to sit down and figure out what you want, start designing it, and start... In See, the last one is really everything. Define your dream and design it. And then all the other things that I said, you figure out how those are all elements within the design. Maybe taking a PDC is not a bad idea after all. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Today's item of the day, it sounds like a stupid little thing. It's the Dash Mini Waffle Maker. These things are about 14 bucks. They were like 10 bucks when they came out. They're more expensive now. They work really good. And yes, you can make mini waffles with them. My favorite thing to do with them is make chaffles. What is a chaffle? Read my write-up. I don't, I don't want to go too much longer today on the podcast, but basically it's a waffle-like thing that you can eat when you're on keto that has tremendous flexibility to do lots of really cool things. And if you like regular old waffles, the thing's good for that too. But remember, no matter what you buy, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, let's wrap things up with the song of the day today. As I said, I wanted to give you songs this week that all make me think about certain moments or parts of my life. This is not a song where I can say this moment. It's more this time. And it's a very, very popular song for anybody that grew up in the 80s, um, especially anybody who's a rock and roll fan. It's kind of like the epitome of rock and roll from that era. It was released in 1980, and it's kind of that crossover between the 70s and 80s. You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you some story about some girl or anything like that. Um, no more to me what this song 
brings back, like as soon as I hear that very distinctive guitar opening that you're about to hear, is the whole period in my life where I was young and single and outliving. You know, I said yesterday where you kind of are in the world where you have friends by circumstance, and as you mature and put a family together, you have friends by choice. This is from that friends by circumstance time of my life, going to bars and clubs and pool halls and stuff and hanging out, because it seemed like from the late 80s all through the mid-90s in this period of my life, when you walked into any place, this was the song that sooner or later you were going to hear. And it kind of just typified the whole feeling, the whole mood. I can't hear this song without thinking about, like, you know, a pool hall called Breakers or a bar called Cowboys. Because even in country, this is a song that had like a crossover against so many demographics. So when you know you have the country bar in place like, places like Texas where, you know, they, they break out and they play a couple sets a night of just like dance music that's not your typical country western stuff, this would be one of them. And this just to me, when I hear this song, I think about being in my early 20s. And what that whole life was like. And it does two things for me. It makes me remember that energy and that vitality and that just attitude of I will get what the F I want in life that I had when I was 20, 21, 22, 23 years old. I, if, if, if they will not open the door, I will take the hinges off, I will get in, I will do what needs to be done. And it makes me grateful for now living in a time where, because I lived that way for a while, I don't have to try that hard anymore. That things are easier now. And that comes from that attitude. That attitude of I'll do whatever it takes, but it also comes from a point of making that switch between those worlds, of not giving a shit and just having a good time. Which this song's just so much about that. And saying, well, I'm going to take that ethic, that kick-ass ethic, and now I'm going to apply it to something. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. <laughs>